Hey there, Victoria here, and welcome to the Choose to Think podcast. If you're here for the first time, we're a faith-based podcast aiming to help listeners like you take back your emotions and thoughts. We talk about taking thoughts captive, giving thanks in everything, and walking with a renewed mind. I do my best to put practical applications on Bible passages to share personal stories and to offer a few historical tidbits as we study the Psalms. Every other week, I have the privilege of interviewing a variety of shining stars from all walks of life. Maybe they're launching a business, perhaps they've overcome tragedy and hardship, or maybe they've learned a thing or two about just how important our thoughts actually are and the influence they have on our attitudes and emotions and our behavior. If someone were to ask me, Victoria, what do you want this podcast to become? I would say a beacon, a light, a source of encouragement and hope to others. We are inundated in toxic news, social and primetime media news, skewed news, and headlines that bombard our hearts and minds with scathing and oftentimes corrosive content. Our awareness levels are constantly on high alert, yet... Our call as Christians could never be more important. Life in the 21st century can feel terribly overwhelming, and it's easy to feel defeated, even unimportant in our Christian walk, as we attempt to promote godly values. Of course, we're not perfect, but we serve a God who is. We're not able but He is. My dream is for this podcast to be like a pebble dropping into a lake whose ripple, though small, may reach many like a fresh wave of truth and inspiration. I picture a message of faith with feet, a weekly public declaration of God's amazing power and influence, and an admonition to listeners to join me in becoming a brain changer. Change the brain, change your life. You know, this podcast is such a sweet privilege and a wonderful blessing for me personally. I get positively giddy to think that you, dear listener, are even here in the first place. I'm so glad you're here. It seems too good to be true. And I feel so privileged that I get to share the good news of Jesus Christ with you. Okay, before we get going, I have a simple call to action. But thank you times a billion for tuning in. Listen, I would love to stay connected with you. Please check out my website, victoriadwalker.com, and opt in so you and I can stay connected. Plus, there are a gazillion freebies over there. It might be downloadable worksheets or charts, help sheets to help you master the art of becoming a brain changer. Also, you'll find a link to the Choose to Think Merch and More shop where you'll find apparel and other items based on each podcast theme to encourage you in your Christian walk and to to declare a position or a belief that you may have. Is there something over there you like? Well, I'm adding weekly to the selection. The theme for today's podcast is I choose to give the gift of life. Now, this design has a double meaning. You may choose to become an organ donor like today's guest, Lisa Prather. And you may be making the effort daily to choose to give life to others by the words you say or through your actions and service to others. The life you have is indeed a gift. So let your life shine and pass it on. 
Okay, a heads up for today's episode. You may need a box of tissues nearby as you listen to Lisa's story about her dear sister, Heather. Today, Lisa has helped me shed light on a topic that we tend to avoid, that we don't know much about, or maybe it's a topic that makes us feel a bit uncomfortable, and it's organ donation. Is this something you've considered? Why or why not? Well, let's listen to what Lisa has to share with us today. Today, I have such a special guest, and her name is Lisa Prather, and Lisa and I met um, in exercise class, so she's quite the, I'm going to, I'm just going to say it, Lisa, quite the exercise dynamo. She <laughs> is, my, yeah, it's true. She is my inspiration um, for strength training. She is just amazing. And I've been so fortunate to be a part of a, of a small exercise group at, that she facilitates or, or, or leads. And anyway, so she's kind of got me and, and that's where we really met and have fostered a little bit of a friendship here over the last uh, many months. And during that time, I discovered something about Lisa that I didn't know. And she has a story to share about her sister, Heather. And I'm just going to pass it off to Lisa. And first, thank you so much for being here, Lisa. And thank then you for you having want, me. Yes, thank you so much. And if you want to just tell us about, you know, wind everything back and tell us about Heather, her story, and how she passed away 11 years ago, I think you said. And um, she was 37. And eventually we're going to get to the to the part where she was an organ donor. And but give us a little bit of a background on on her and how all of this came about, if you don't mind. Well, when Heather was about 12, um, she was raped by a family member um, in our home. I, I was already uh, maybe she was 13, 12 or 13, because I had already left home at that time. And, um, you know, our family didn't find out about this for many years that it had happened. My parents didn't find out for many years about it. And it went on uh, for quite a lengthy amount of time. So that really led to her emotional decline. You know, through those years, she started um, sneaking out at night, running away, um, lots of behavior-related issues, and she became involved in drugs um, when she was probably in her late 20s. She spent one year at Peewee Valley for um, check forgery. And that was detrimental to our family that this happened to her and there was nothing that we could do. My parents tried multiple different um, rehab places, um, spent tens of thousands of dollars to get therapy and rehab for her all to no avail. And um, her year that she spent at Peewee Valley, which is the women's prison, um, she became friends with lots of people and she would call my mom and say, uh, bring me some books. I'm teaching these women how to read. You know, it gave her great joy that she could actually give back. And it was a time in her life when she was actually sober. 
Um, so we were hopeful that when she got out, um, that the changes would be, it would stick, I guess you would say, but it didn't. She got out after a year and, um, you know, life continued in her same journey. When she was about 35, miraculously, this man that she was with, they decided to clean up their life, but they had spent about a year um, doing very hard drugs, her and him together. She ended up leaving him and deciding, and how she did it on her own, I think is only something that God could explain to us because we as a family never could understand. She'd gone to all these drug treatment centers and none of those things ever helped. But I mean, how often do you hear of somebody who can just stop doing cocaine all on their own, just with the will of her mind? And that's what she did. She decided that she wanted to get her... Um, finish her GED, and she started college. Um, she moved back in with my parents, uh, maybe in January. I'm trying to think of the dates. 2009, she had started going back to church. Um, she had accepted Christ when she was a young child. You know, we all grew up in a small country church, and she had accepted Christ when she was probably 9 or 10 years old. Mm -hmm. She never in her life ever said, I don't I don't have time for Jesus. I don't have time for this in my life. But I think she never felt worthy because of what happened to her. Mm -hmm. I think the drugs were always just something to mask um, her feeling of being unworthy and not worthy of her family and not worthy of the love of Christ. So, like I said, in about January of 2009, she moved back home and she had started, um, she was so good with computers. She could take a computer apart and rebuild it. I mean, she knew just so much about it. Anytime we'd, any of us would have problems, we'd call and she'd tell you how to get into the back end of the computer and do this or that, things I, I can't even imagine. But it's everything she taught herself how to do. So she she started school at ITT Tech in Louisville, um, and she was just doing amazingly well. And I was getting ready to help her to write a letter to the governor asking for a full pardon so that she could actually get a job when she got out of college. Because she did have this felony on her record, it was difficult for her to be able to work. Um, so... Things were going well. She had met a young man we connected with that was a godly man that, um, you know, she had met when she was just a young girl. And this man had told her, you know, that he'd always loved her from afar, but she was, you know, out living her worldly life. Anyway, long story short, um, the last time that I saw her was our birthdays. We share um, birthday time together. Her birthday September the 3rd and mine September the 4th. So we always had birthdays together. So I had gone to Campbellsville where she lived with my parents and we had dinner at a Mexican restaurant there. Had our pictures made and she always had one type of cake and I had another. So we were, you know, so that's kind of my last memory with her um, before she had a brain aneurysm. So probably around the third, I can't remember if we met actually on her birthday or mine. It's generally Labor Day, so it's always a long weekend. And so um, 
she was sharing with us at her birthday all the plans that she had as she was hoping to graduate in the next um, six months or so. I think she was to finish school in April um, with her with her you know computer degree. So you know things in her life were moving along and she was doing well and and we were all you know proud of her for what she had done. It was like she had made this full circle back. Um, all the trauma that she had put everyone through, um, you know, with the choices that she had made, it was like it was redemption for her that she had come full circle. So on September the 23rd, um, my parents were moving to a different house. So she was busy packing her things. She was moving with them. And she went to my mother's work and my mom saw her out the window. She was getting boxes. And as she was getting those boxes, she waved at my mom through the window. That was a Wednesday, the 23rd of September. And she went to school that night, and uh, she had to drive to Louisville. When she got back from Louisville, it was late, probably around 1130. Well, her boyfriend, his name was Kevin, he was there at the house. They were going to watch a movie. And my parents were asleep, and uh, thank goodness he was there because she went into the bathroom and changed her clothes. She came out. She had her shorts and T-shirt, and they, they sat on the couch. They were getting ready to watch the movie. And he said when the movie came on, you know, she'd been talking to him, and she just kind of leaned over on him, and he said she felt so heavy that she was just leaning on him so much, and he, you know, was talking to her, and she didn't answer. So when he looked over at her, she was foaming at the mouth. And so it, of course, freaked him out. He tried to, to get her to wake up. He was shaking her, no response. So frantically, he ran in the bedroom and got my mother and said, something's wrong with Heather. Something's wrong. I, I, she was fine. Now she's not responding. So they ended up, you know, calling the ambulance. Uh, you know, she went from fine talking. She had just driven home, you know, an hour and 45 minutes from Louisville to Campbellsville, where they live. And, I mean, long story short, they got her to the EMS, got her to the hospital, and um, they knew that it was severe. Uh, so they tried to life flight her to Louisville, but there was so much fog that night that they couldn't, they couldn't do it. So they ended up taking her by ambulance to UK Hospital. So my dad called me and said, Heather's unresponsive, and we're on our way to UK. And I, you know, it's three in the morning. Well, what do you mean unresponsive? And he said, well, that's all they've told us. So I throw on my clothes. Uh, you know, I meet them over there. By the time the ambulance gets there, it's probably, I don't know, 4.30 in the morning. And um, a neurosurgeon comes in to talk to us and said that their main neurosurgeon at UK had just gone on vacation. He wasn't there. But they determined that she'd had a brain aneurysm. And, you know, they go into this long detail. She's going to be in rehab for many months. Um, she'll have to learn to walk and talk again um, if she ever wakes up. Well, we knew what this meant because my dad's mother in 1988 had also died of a brain aneurysm. And so when we relayed that information to the neurosurgeon, they called the head surgeon to come back, the head neurosurgeon to come back. And he actually came back from his vacation early that morning to do the assessment. And uh, 
later that day, he, you know, we were all trying to figure out, okay, so what are we going to do? We'll have to take turns sitting with her wherever she ends up. Um, Heather didn't have, she'd never married and did not have children, but she had a dog. And so um, we were trying to figure out how we were going to take care of all those different things. So throughout the course of that Thursday, um, they did more and more scans and determined she had actually had five aneurysms on her brain, two of which they thought had ruptured. But there was so much blood inside the brain, they couldn't really determine how many had ruptured um, and which ones they were. Later that day, they began talking with us about the fact that she would not recover and we needed to... Um, be deciding, but before they could actually make that determination, um, a person has to be brain dead for a certain amount of time through a certain number of tests to determine for sure. They can't just say, oh, this person is no longer viable, they're brain dead, and so we're going to turn off her life support. So by Thursday evening, uh, a woman showed up in the ICU at UK, and at first I thought, oh, no, we're not talking to this woman. It was very hard to go from that morning, we're going we're gonna to work her through this, she's going to get through this, so tonight people are coming to talk to us about taking her organs. So that it took a little bit of time to mentally and emotionally adjust to that. She's not going to make it, so what are we going to do? So this woman proceeded to tell us her story of how she became involved with CODA, which CODA stands for the Kentucky Organ Donor Affiliates. And what a wonderful organization they are. Powerful testimony that people have. She proceeded to show us a necklace that she had on, and it had ridges on this necklace. It was like a little circle with these ridges and if you looked at it you could tell it was a fingerprint and she said this is my thummy I call this my thummy she said it's my son's thumbprint when he was 27 years old he was killed in a car accident and he well he was brain dead and we donated his heart and she said I've become don't uh, affiliated with CODA because of this and I advocate for organ donor transplantation and, you know, and as she told us her story she no longer became the person who's coming to take our family member away she's telling us about how this tragedy can bring life to somebody else Lisa let me um, let me just first of all um, say thank you for sharing this story. And second of all, if not, I should have said this first, really, I'm just so sorry for your loss. And as I've just been hearing so many of these details for the very first time, my heart just feels a bit heavy. I have a, I actually, I have a sister, it's my only sibling. And I, I, you know, I cannot really imagine, um, how difficult all of this might have been. And 
And I'm, I'm so grateful that you're, you have the courage here today to, to share a little bit about, about Heather and this entire experience for you and for your family. So I'm very sorry for your loss. And I also thank you for, for, um, for the, the bravery that you're showing and that God has given you maybe in this moment to, to join us today and to share some of, um, of, of what all this means. Now, before we hear more of this tender and heart-wrenching story, let's take a quick break for our sponsors. Now, welcome back. And this might be a good time to share a few statistics that I discovered in my research of organ donation. As of March 2020, there were more than 112,000 men and women and children on the national transplant waiting list. Yes. In 2019, about 40,000 transplants were performed. I learned that 20 people died daily waiting for a transplant. Yes. Um, 90% of the people, and I, I don't remember, I'm assuming that this is a national statistic, 90% actually support organ donating, but only 60% end up actually signing up. And you can actually sign up, um, you can register online, or you can you can actually sign up at the state motor vehicle office. I'm sure you've yes. most of us have been asked before. Do you want to do this? You know, there's a, a link there on the driver's license. I'm assuming because many people who go on to donate organs have probably been involved in some sort of automobile or vehicular accident of some sort. Um, I also found, learned that only three in one thousand people actually die in a way that allows for right. organ donation. That's exactly and, right. Because there are so many things that you think, oh well if I if I if I'm dead, then they'll take my organs, but that's not that's not how it is. When they told us you actually need to be in the hospital when you pass. There's some, there's such a strict guideline to how they procure the organs and the body cannot be without oxygen for so many minutes prior to um, them being able to take the organs. Yes, that's exactly what I discovered. It says that, that usually the individual must pass away in the hospital and be on life support. Yes. Um, I also discovered that one donor can save eight lives because there are actually eight vital organs, which would be the heart, liver, both kidneys, both lungs, the pancreas, and then intestines. And now this is where it seems a little more on the edge to me in a way, and I'm just going to use that word, but people are also recently added have been hands and faces. Um, they also, we, and we may not think about this, but tissues can also be donated such as cornea, skin, heart valves, bones, blood vessels, connective tissues, all of those things that enhance the lives of other people who are waiting for those things or need those things, bone marrow and stem cells, umbilical cord blood, um, peripheral blood, skin cells, all of those can also be, be donated. So let's go back to that moment 
and here's you and your family there at the hospital. And this, this lady came in to share her heart and her, her thoughts and to just share her story with, with you and with your family. And maybe, I mean, I, you know, I just can't imagine in that moment when, and you described it so well, you're like, wait a minute, hold up here. You're, you're coming in to talk about this. We haven't adjusted. We don't have time to even consider everything that's just happened in the life of my, of our sister, our beloved daughter. We, this, this is too fast, too much, too fast. We can't process all of this. And what, what, and her story, I'm sure helps shift your minds just a little bit, or maybe accept the reality of what was actually happening. And can you go back to that moment and then take us forward on what actually, what decisions were made? Do you feel comfortable yes. doing that? Okay. So um, she explains to us how um, important it is, how many people, all those statistics that you shared, she talked to us about those things. She also added in the personal story, like I said, of her son and how her son's heart um, went to a man who was then able to walk his daughter down the aisle um, on her wedding day because he was able to continue his life, even though her son no longer was going to need his heart. And she said that she was able to meet this man and actually listen to her son's heartbeat. It's just the most amazing thought to hear your loved one's heart beating in someone else's chest and to think about the life that he was able to then live and his family and that she's part of their family now. Hmm. This has been many years ago, so I'm not sure what the status is, but he had been gone maybe three years to at the time she was talking to us about this. Um, and, and she was so loving and caring. And, you know, my parents had been through so much with my sister through the years and all the things that I described to you early on, many other details that are just, you know, so painful to think about what she had actually gone through, what she'd put them through. And now that she is back at home and things are going well and she's back in church, you know, it just seemed like such a blow. Why now? Why did God choose this time to take her? You know, why? You know, and these are the answers, the questions that we never get answers to. If You can spend your whole life asking why. So we went back into the room where Heather was. We were allowed to go in two or three at a time. And can't remember the exact amount of hours, but I think it was six hours that they had to do the test to determine brain death. They had to do those that test six hours apart to make sure that um, they weren't acting prematurely. They did some tests, either uh, brain scans or these kinds of things. I'm not real sure, but the tests that I saw them do because, you know, just as a normal American healthy human being, you know, I would think, gosh, I, I don't know about organ donation. What if you're really not dead? What if they prematurely 
take your organs because they know you have a strong heart. I mean, I guess these are just all crazy thoughts, but it's just things that I, you know, made me hesitant to ever be an organ donor. But I watched what they did. So my sister has, um, you know, oxygen on and she's got the tube down her lungs. And these are sites that I'm not used to seeing. Um, I had noticed that her mouth had swollen um, and her tongue was out of her mouth because it was so swollen. It was due to the swelling on the brain that caused all this. But the nurse was so precious, but she was a little bitty thing, but she came in there and she said, now I'm going to do the test. Um, I'm not sure if you'll want to be in here, but we did. We wanted to, we wanted to, we had to be sure. So what they do is they shoot water into the inner ear. And she said, if there's brain activity, when that water gets past the inner ear, I guess as far as they shoot it in, it will cause a violent seizure if there's brain activity. And so that was the first test that they did. So they put the water in or whatever liquid they used. It may not have been water. And then the second thing they did was under her armpit, the nurse took her fingers and I mean, she, you can just touch yourself there and imagine twisting that skin right in your armpit and twisting it as hard as she can, trying to elicit pain. And at first I thought, gosh, this seems a little over the top with, but they were trying to get movement. They were trying to get reflexes and there were none. Um, and, and she said, you know, this might be painful to watch, but we have to be sure. So those were the two things that they allowed us to watch them do to see if there was any brain activity or any pain, any excitement of pain at all. And there was none. So the next morning, Friday morning, early in the morning, we knew that they were going to turn that off, turn her life support off. And that would be the time that they declared as date and time of death, which would have been Friday. And as I told you, this happened late in the night, Wednesday night, early Thursday morning. So we'd had like no sleep. And they allowed us to all go in and say our goodbyes. Um, my parents had signed all the paperwork as her uh, medical power of attorney because she had no, um, she was not married. So as I get this paperwork out, I always kept the paperwork with me. And um, they had signed on here where, what they were going to donate. So as I told you, she was a drug user and a cigarette smoker. So there were limited things. They were not going to be able to use her lungs. But they took her kidneys her pancreas, her liver. Um, they took her corneas. And they asked specifically for something that just was so foreign to my thought process. They asked for her long bones, her legs. And I said, why? Why do you want that? You know, to me, it just seemed like scavengers. You know, in my, I was still just not so on board. And they explained it to us that when children are born with cleft palate and cleft uh, missing those bones in the upper part of their mouth, they use that bone tissue that they take from people, such as my sister, 
and that's what they use to, to restructure the bone tissue inside these little babies' mouths when they're reforming their cleft, their palate. And, you know, I just thought she was never able to have children. How special that she could give that gift to someone. So these were all the things they, they did take her, the valves for her heart. They weren't able to take, use her heart for whatever reason, but they did take the valves from her heart. Um, it was painful, but that's all the things that they took, you know, and they were able to use. So CODA keeps very good track of people. And definitely in that first year, um, when you are known as the donor family, um, they treat you with great care. I will have to say that. They are so loving, and they realize the gift that your family member gave to so many people. We ask if there would be any way that we could ever know um, what would happen. Was anyone saved? Did it change anyone's life? I guess you always want to know well, what, what was the outcome. They never allow you to know the name of the donor. You have, there's no way to ever know. It's always protected. Or the donor and the, don and, the, and the families who receive the donation are never, um, none of that information is ever exchanged. It's very private. But they do give um, the person receiving the donation, they, um, you, they can write a letter back to CODA. And then CODA will send the letter to the donor family. And we did receive one letter um, from a very sweet young woman who lived in Georgetown. And she told about the day on September 25th of 2009, and she got the call that, that she was going to be receiving a kidney and how that was life-changing for her. So we probably got that um, maybe six months after Heather passed. It was still very raw. Um, she said that, you know, she would love to meet us someday if, but my mother was just at that point in time, not able to do it. So we did respond back in, in a letter and told her just how thankful we were and how Heather would be so proud that she could um, make someone else's life um, worth living because this young woman, she was very young, told us her story of how she, became dependent on dialysis, you know, and was unable to live a normal life and that this was going to give her the chance at a normal life. So, you know, how special it was that it did come full circle of the people who she did. You know, we did hear about the other transplants and where those things went, but we never heard back from those recipients. Lisa, I... You know, I've been brought to tears a few times as you've been sharing this story. And you you said at one point a little bit ago, you said maybe these are just, I don't know what you said exactly, but like silly questions or weird questions to have about, you know, are they just coming to take and scavenge and, and so forth? And, and how do they determine actual brain death or loss of function? And will they manipulate that in any way? I think those are questions and thoughts that all of us would be having. 
I've even thought that as I'm, you know, I'm not on the, the donor list, but I, I, I need to put some more thought into that because this is stirring up something with me, you know, with my uncle. And then now hearing this story, I've never had the courage to do that because I've, I've had some of those thoughts and those fears that, you know, you know, because we all want to live and I don't want someone to say, oh, she's on the donor list. So let's, let's do, let's work against her being alive. And I think those are actually very common fears and thoughts and maybe misconceptions to have. And it also, another topic here is the, the ethics behind all of this. And I, I, I tr- did a little bit of research into the Christian worldview, and there's nothing explicit in the Bible that talks about organ doning per se, but there's a lot that talks about um, the act of charity, acts of compassion, um, you know, where, where we can provide life and health as much as it depends on us to help someone else. We have the sacrificial life of Jesus and what he did for all humankind. Um, And it's, you know, in a way, I'm a regular blood donor. I will say that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people ethically, they, they struggle even with that. But, you know, I think that it's this is helping me a lot personally to process some of this and i the letter that you got from from the lady who now has heather's kidney it's just there's something so amazing about that and something so heartwarming it feels a little bittersweet but it's there's something comforting, I guess, is the word in, in what happened. I also like what you said and, and, and what you shared about the, the longer bones and so forth, because my granddaughter was born with a, with a partially cleft palate mm-hmm. and did not require any type of bone um, transplanting, but um, I mean, it was able to heal and close and repair on its own as she matured. But, and, you know, she's now six and she's had surgeries and so forth. But, um, but that's another thought that, that the connection that maybe Heather, who was without a child, as you said, has been able to help someone else who has a child in that scenario, that is, something so dear and tender to a mother's heart and, you know, to both of our hearts and I'm sure to many who are listening. So did you, how has your faith grown or where did you put the ethics in all of this? How did you come to feel settled in your heart about your decisions and your family's decisions regarding Heather? You know, as I shared with you the struggle that she experienced for almost all of her life. You know, and my my mom many times would say, but why now? Why did this happen now? You know, and somehow God just laid it on my heart that now we were assured that she was home with Christ. You know, she had, you know, had she died in her drug addiction, would it 
you know, how would we have dealt with that the rest of our life, knowing that she wasn't, um, she hadn't come back full circle, that she was trying to live now a life that God wanted her to live. And as painful as it was to think about it, that why did it happen now? She never denounced Christ. I think she was not a person. You know, I don't believe that um, she lost her salvation. She always loved Christ. I think that she had so much pain in her life that she couldn't she couldn't accept that. But as she was coming back to that, I think it brought me comfort to know that the aneurysm didn't happen while she was out doing all the things that were so painful. She was home. We knew what happened. You know, we knew exactly how things went. That brought me a lot of comfort um, in those coming months. Um, UK has a very special way of honoring organ donation. If you've been in the new part of the hospital, um, over by the heart wing, there are names all on these uh, little tiles. And it has little rivers and uh, moving water kind of running through these tiles. It's very special. But they Heather's name is on one of those tiles at the hospital. And so many of the organ donors through the years, they add their names to those tiles. And, I, and we've been to several different ceremonial things for donor families. And many of them have the same feelings that we came to is, you know, we're given life for a certain amount of days. We don't know what those days are. We don't know when that day will be. But why take those organs with you when you can change the life of someone here? When you can give the gift of life. Um, so I have a... a plate on the back of my car, my license plate is a, is a CODA plate, Donate Life. And I want people to know this is important. Um, why, why, would you, why would you need to take your heart with you? You're finished. You're finished with this world. And I've seen firsthand, they make sure that your life is no longer viable. It doesn't matter if you've signed a donor um, card or not. Heather had never signed that. Um, but but her family knew, you know, we came to the knowledge that this was a gift that Heather could give back, that our family could, you know, how selfish it would have been to have said no. It wouldn't have changed our outcome. She was still gone, whether we donated or not. And I think that giving that gift helped us to see that her life did come full circle. She lived such a painful life, but in the end of her life, she was able to give such a gift to people she never knew. And that, Lisa, is a spiritual legacy that is an incredible gift for her to leave behind for her loved ones and family members and as you've so eloquently confessed and spoken and articulated about this issue, it's taking a situation that is so dire and distressing and 
turning it a bit upside down and saying, wait, we are in a position to offer life, to help and to support. And we don't want to miss that. And so you've ushered in those, those, that decision ushered in a new spiritual legacy for something for Heather to leave behind that brings glory to the Father in heaven who always had his eyes on her and who, you know, she was precious in his sight. And I am, you know what? I think I'm just going to have to go sign up today, Lisa. <laughs> I hope so. I hope you do. And I hope lots of people listening will. I do too. And I just couldn't thank you enough for for sharing this. This has been such a rather emotional chat that we've had. And your life, if I could just say for a moment, what little glimpses I've had into your life. We, you, I've got to have you to come back and talk about your husband as well at some <laughs> point. And your journey has been has been so difficult, but what an amazing woman of God you are and how you cling to your faith and how you don't take your eyes off God, who is the author and perfecter of your faith. And what a wonderful light you are shining to others as as we journey in this life. You are incredible. And I wish everybody could know you. They, they know you a little <laughs> bit now, but Thanks your strength, you know, I, I think about all this CrossFit mumbo jumbo that we do on <laughs> twice a week, and you know, okay, and you know, lift that. You, if you're not going, if you're not lifting something that hurts, then you're you're just wasting your time. All these things that you say that you know you're out to strengthen, and and those things that you're applying physically are so evident also in your spiritual walk, and the strength, and and you know, you're just growing stronger and stronger each day in the love you have for Christ and in sharing your testimony and in helping us to see someone who is has the courage to stand. I know life has knocked you down, but but you just keep getting back up by God's good grace. And that is really beautiful. So thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you for having me and giving me an opportunity to share this. I haven't talked about this in a long time and uh, so it did bring up a lot of emotion so I do apologize for getting so I, I think it caught me off guard that it would make me this emotional but you know I've also heard that the healing from loss you know death of a loved one is it just kind of comes in waves and layers and and my prayer is that this conversation will also add another layer of health and healing and comfort to your heart so thank you for being transparent thank you, thank you for having me I appreciate yes. it my pleasure Deep breath, right? My goodness. Such a beautiful story with such a hopeful, hopeful message and ending. Well, let me just say that I am now officially signed up as an organ donor. I prayed about it and I'm I'm so glad that I made this decision. I've shared this with my children so that it won't catch them by surprise. And I've encouraged them to also consider this life-saving move as well. So let's pray.
gracious and abundantly loving, kind, and sacrificial Heavenly Father, thank you for giving your Son, Jesus Christ, so that each one of us might have eternal life in the Spirit with you. Help us to choose life so that we and our descendants may truly live. In Jesus' name, amen. All the links for the statistics for CODA, as well as how to reach out to Lisa, are all in the show notes. Perhaps today you're considering taking action to become an organ donor too. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, Dios primero y que Dios te bendiga. Ciao.